The Talking to Ourselves podcast is brought to you by The One Club, the world's leading nonprofit organization recognizing creative excellence in advertising and design. Hey, coming to you from JSM Music in New York City, I'm Omid Farhang, Chief Creative Officer at Momentum. Today, my guest, Jamie Robinson, co-founder and Chief Creative Officer at Joan, a rapidly growing startup agency that she created with partner Lisa Clooney in 2016. Prior to Startup Life, Jamie served as co-executive creative director at Wyden Kennedy, New York, helping shape work for clients like Delta Airlines, Southern Comfort, and Sprite. During her days in San Francisco at Pereira Odell, Jamie did acclaimed creative campaigns for Lego, Mattel, and Airbnb, and she led Intel's The Beauty Inside, which won an Entertainment Emmy along with three Grand Prix at Cannes. Jamie's approach to creativity and marketing earned her a spot on Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, an ad age is 40 under 40. In 2014, she served as jury president for Mobile at Cannes. She currently serves on the Ad Council, which is where I've enjoyed getting to know her over the past year. This is Jamie Robinson and I talking to ourselves. Where I like to start, um, and if you don't know the answer to this, then we should cancel the whole thing now. Well, I just like to know, where are you from, (laughs) and what did your parents do? Oh, my God. So I'm from New Jersey, and I'm back there now. I live there now. Um, And as a matter of fact, it's kind of funny because um, my children were born in California, in San Francisco, and uh, they're back in Jersey. And uh, my nine-year-old, I walked in on her this morning, and she's listening to Bon Jovi, and she's wearing a tie-dye t-shirt, and she's in her room. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is like looking at me when I was that age. (laughs) Holy shit. So so I'm from Jersey. Was she Uh, like, Mom, have you heard this Bon Jovi? I think this guy's really going places. (laughs) She felt she and, and this is so nerdy. This is the California. She heard him on. She uh, heard an interview with him on Terry Gross. So she's a nine year old who listens to Terry Gross and also now Bon Jovi. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I'm from like um, kind of rural New Jersey, kind of farm country. Um, my parents. Uh, my mom was a stay at home mom, um, and my father uh, managed stockbrokers. So. Um, he, you know, and was also the mayor of our town. He was the mayor of our small little horse town in New Jersey. Um, but yeah. It, Leadership it, is in your blood. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah. I mean, he definitely, my, my father, he passed away about 10 years ago. But he, when he was alive, was, um, was, was probably the mayor that bent a lot of rules and uh, did things he shouldn't have done. <laughs> like, how, <laughs> I don't know. How old is your daughter? Um, I have two. I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. What um, did nine-year-old Jamie in New Jersey want to be when she grew up? Uh, nine-year-old Jamie wanted to be, uh, I think, probably a movie star, but also, um, I, I can't, uh, maybe it was nine or 10 or 11. I did, I did want to do advertising pretty early. Um, we, I watched, there was a movie called Baby Boom, which was with Diane Keaton in it. And um, and she was this woman who came in and she wore shoulder pads and they called her Tiger Lady. And she had a kind of combination of ideas, but she also, I don't know, you know, I don't know, t- had a briefcase and that was seemed to be interesting to me. And uh, and so I, I, I thought advertising early on was an interesting an interesting possible career. Um, but if it wasn't going to be advertising, I guess my fallback was movie star. Probably like. Were you a theater kid? I was. Yeah. I was a theater kid. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I like. I've done. Uh, uh, you know, I've done a lot of stage stuff. Some of it's been really great, and I mean, for for a ten year old in an elementary school, and some of it is really terrible. But <laughs> I was a theater kid. No, but I think part of um, being good at your job is bringing in some of these things that you were interested in before you knew what you were going to be for a living. And if performance was part of that, like performance is a big part of your job. You know, it is. And it's it's one that um, I think, you know, I think it's it's both uh, neglected sometimes by people that are coming up through the creative track. Um, but also, in, in some ways, you always feel a little guilty when performance is, is a part of your job because... Um, you know, and, and it is like it's 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 one of the most vital skills is being able to like communicate an idea and, and stir someone's imagination and bring that idea to life. And I think you feel guilty because it, it almost is where you start to feel a little bit like, um, you know, there's there's a falseness to acting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you start to say, well, I don't I'm not you know, I'm I'm not uh, you know, I don't ever want to be fake or anything like that. I'm not trying to be a liar. But but when you want to like try to inspire something in somebody, you got to kind of 
sell it. You got to kind of show it to them what it could be like and and give them the 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 dream in the most um, exciting way possible. So so yeah, I think we have to be entertainers and have to, we have to be performers. I did want to ask you who was the person or persons who gave you sort of like your first big break. Oh. So Mad Dogs and Englishmen was an agency um, in New York, and now they've they've opened up again in San Francisco. And um, I was lucky enough to get um, uh, an internship there at a college. I I won like a national student advertising competition, and no big deal. Yeah, I I didn't go to ad school, so it was kind of like an undergrad thing, and we just got like we just there was like a. There was like two sessions, like a fall session and a spring session, where your whole thing was prepping for this competition. And you worked with a team, and it was super fun. So, um, uh, so you didn't sleep a lot, which also prepared you for for uh, you know becoming yeah. an advertising <laughs> creative. Um, but I walked in, and I uh, and I was interviewing at a bunch of different places around the city that were more kind of um, what I thought. You know where Tiger Lady would uh, from Diane Keaton would have gone and worked, and then I walked into Mad Dogs and Englishmen, and I met a bunch of people. I met Dave Cook, uh, who uh, you might do you know Dave Cook? My God, I love Dave Cook, Uh, and um, and Nick Cohen and Michael Reich, and they were these three CDs that um, you know ran Mad Dogs, and uh, and I was like, holy shit, um, these people are hilarious and different and so creative and um and wrong there was like so many things that they do that was wrong and i kind of loved it yeah were they like what's with the shoulder pads and oh well literally i walked in and i had a i did have a suit on (laughs) like i and i had these like back in the day like these like chunky high heels and i had a briefcase i had a briefcase that i bought for 120 dollars, and i had nothing inside it some crackers like literally nothing. I didn't have a portfolio, so I don't know what the fuck I thought I was doing with the briefcase. But it just seemed like what you did. You went on business, and you. I had pantyhose. I wore pantyhose, um, and I went in there, and and they were all in like you know jean shorts and like t-shirts and everybody and you know yeah high top Converse, and it was like oh okay <laughs> this is not this is different and I loved it and they were awesome and they they were amazing, you know the way that they ran their um, creative department back then was that they had some really senior talent, the CDs. And they had a couple. They had a handful of senior creatives. Um, but they actually had a, their specialty was interns. So they would bring in, at any given time at Mad Dogs, there might be 10 creative interns who were the engine. And we, and it, and it must have been, in retrospect, it must have been really exhausting for the creative directors because, you know, you have interns and they're taking cracks at briefs. And, um, and like, so much of it is crap, you know, but they, they were our ad school. Right. They were like, you know, you know, they would say that this is, this is good. Like one out of, out of 30 things that you put forward had potential. And, and it was devastating at first cause you, you didn't, I didn't realize how high the bar had to be, but it was amazing. And I look back at it and I, and I just am so grateful for that, that education, um, and, and, and those standards. You were at Pereira Odell from almost the beginning, where you had um, a front row seat for the building of a successful agency from scratch. You were at e- you were ECD at Wyden, New York. Um, do you recall a specific moment in your journey where you started feeling the sort of gnawing sensation to do your own thing? I, I would say it it happened at Pereira Odell. It was so fun to to kind of be at an agency close to its inception and watch it grow and help it grow. Um, you know, I like PJ Pereira and Andrew Odell are um, incredible, and um, and they also were very open to letting me to participate uh, in a lot of levels there. Um, and I have to say, there is something about an agency when it's first starting up, but you know that it's there's some chemistry between the people and the intentions behind it, and the vision that is set forward is. It's me. It seems like it could be something interesting, and I felt that. I felt that when I first met PJ and Andrew, um, and I, I don't even think when I first joined that they they had just won, I think, University of Phoenix. But I don't even think it was public, so I just didn't. That they didn't even have really any real clients at the time. Um, they had a couple uh, things that they were doing, kind of uh, gratis for like for sexy clients like Lego or Puma, but. Um, but I just remember meeting them and just thinking, wow, these guys are, there's just something, there's some electricity that they have that just feels like it could be something interesting. And um, and those early days of of kind of working without processes and um, and or, or with, with very loose processes and 
you know, grabbing opportunities and tr- pushing so hard because you know that those opportunities in the early days are so important. Um, it's really intoxicating, and and um, and I and I remember as we were kind of going and we went from being this kind of small agency to kind of getting bigger and bigger, and then starting to do things that would win awards and um, and and things that that I felt were um, you know the, was the work that I really really wanted to do. Um, just feeling that 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 um, that specialness of being a startup is 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 uh, a great place to use your creativity yeah. beyond just the actual work, but even just like the creative of building a, a group of people pull, coming together to to fulfill a, a dream. Yeah. Before daring to take that first step as an entrepreneur, did you ever f- question whether you had the stomach for a startup based on what you observed of those two? No. I never questioned it. And I know that that sounds like bullshit, but the thing is, um, I think in our jobs as creatives <laughs> in general, you are constantly putting yourself out there and you're constantly getting beat up. And I think that that is good prep for being an entrepreneur. You are constantly having to believe in something that is a something on a page, or something that you pitch to somebody in 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 fifteen seconds or a minute that you came up with a, on a random night, and but for some reason you feel like it's good and you know that it could be something. And so I feel like the the confidence of of and the stomach that it takes to to do that, and the the thick skin it takes to get beaten up and come back again is really inherently something that we practice a lot as creatives anyway. So I don't, I never was, was worried about it. What are your feelings on devil's advocacy at agencies based on what you just said? Like it's important to have people who can come in and, and um, pressure test an idea or apply fresh eyes. And a lot of times they'll go, you know, just playing devil's advocate here. And I mean, I think this is true at all agencies. I wonder if it's even heightened um at a at a startup um that like the truth of it is that like to point out what doesn't work about an idea is much easier than to point out what does work about an idea and you are kind of known for your buoyant optimism (laughs) um so do you have thoughts on devil's advocacy um i love devil's advocacy actually strangely enough because so first of all when you are in love with an idea you can sometimes be blind to some things that might be um uh, might be things that it could that could be its downfall, um, and and um, or you might not be blind, but you might be kind of feeling it somewhere deep, 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 but ignoring it because you're in love with that idea. Right. And to me, what devil's advocacy generally does is it points out that thing that is somewhere back in a gut somewhere that could, if not addressed, be the downfall of the idea. So to me, I love it because what it does is it forces you to address something early on that could be could be something that later on would be cause a complete wipeout on the idea. Um, and, and it also, uh, in my experience, tends to make it better because whatever that point is on the devil's advocacy issue, um, it is something that's that... Uh, generally speaking, has some truth to it. And in our best, we are doing work that is both uh, completely inspiring and interesting and new and fresh and novel and creative, but also true. So if there is something that you are avoiding that is is a truth, uh, I... I think it's good to address it early on. Now, what I don't love is, you know, people that are pissing on everything. Because if you are just like coming in to like be on our parade and that's it and you think your job is just to be the the, the Debbie Downer of the situation, um, then you're not really contributing. The best devil's advocates pose a question and then have the beginning, if not, you know, if not the whole solution, but have the beginning of the solution already thought through. Right. And that's, that is devil's advocacy responsibly devil's advocate responsibly people it sounds like we're discussing like a proposition on an an upcoming ballot yes um in 2016 you co-founded joan with lisa clooney who was the chief operating officer for refinery 29 which was the fastest growing digital media company for millennial women in the world um what did you see in lisa that made you want to place this bet with her if you spend 10 seconds with lisa you will see it too um, I have to say she is uh, one of the most brilliant and inspiring people I have ever, I'm going to get all teary, I've ever met. Um, she's also become quickly one of my best friends in the world. I can't believe I'm crying on a podcast. Um, all right. Be cool, Jamie. Um, she is um, 
creative and strong and um, and she has um, a way to think six steps ahead of everybody in the room and um, and and also uh, you know um, she's just a great person so I feel like um, uh, you know it, I it really wasn't even a question when I, I met her I was like this is the only person that I could start this with and um, and um, and I was lucky enough that she got excited about that idea too. It's incredible to see um, the emotion that that brings out in you because starting your own business and putting your name on it, um, you know, the word is business, but it's actually deeply personal. It is. Um, and you're deciding on a partner in much the same way that you decide on a life partner. Yeah. Um, and this is the person that you're going to be spending time with in lieu of being with your daughters at yeah. home. And, yeah. you know, so. It is. It's it a is. big decision. Um, it is. Yeah. So I, I should just thank you because it's the dream of every interviewer to make the subject cry. And we, <laughs> we've achieved that in the first five minutes. That's Damn awesome. It. Barbara Walters, what are you doing to me? But no, but but it, but you're right. It is like, if you think about it, like, so, you know, uh, there is the time aspect that you will literally spend with this person. Yeah. Uh, it is impossible to overstate how much time you will spend with this person. The other thing is you need to know that they are a person that is worth um, putting your your trust in, and that is your um, your trust from a from from the financial perspective. That is your trust from your heart, right? Because you're you're giving somebody a part of your heart to 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 work with with you. Um, and then the you know and the trust is also do I trust them that they are a superstar and that they're going to help lead right. this place into. Um, into something that is completely new, and um, and and uh, and so I think the decision to take on a or choose your business partner if you're starting something is the most important decision. And I just like lucked out. Um, our friendship continues to grow stronger every day, and that's not to say we haven't encountered some difficult times. Like every relationship, things that are outside forces will come in. Like any, like even like a marriage, you we bring it like a marriage, right? That are um, that are going to test you. And I think the trick is just like a marriage to take those those outside forces and those troubles and to use it as a way to to make it stronger. Right. Um, yeah, like you know, yeah, she's she's just an, she's amazing. One of the best ways to figure out what your new company should be is to figure out what it shouldn't be. Um, what were some of your early conversations with Lisa about what you didn't want Joan to be? Well, it's funny you should you should mention that because when we started in the, the, in the conversation where we really got serious about it, um, one of the things that we did was we wrote down a list of all the problems that the industry is having today. Everything from incredible bureaucracy, right? right? And 700 people in a room and what do they do to taking too long to um, to you know uh, us losing you know the industry losing relevance uh, culturally with the with the world at large right and to our competitors coming in you know people that used to be um, our partners in in executing a great vision like uh, production companies and media companies and even clients now having in house creative departments so so we made a list of like forty questions um, why does it have to be like this like do we think that that's right. Um, and, uh, and, um, we, um, kind of were like, those, those are the things that are, we don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be, um, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to feel like there's a scarcity of, of creativity that when we are in a room with our clients, we want there to be this feeling of ideas flowing and that can come from anywhere. And, and yes, you know, there are, there are agencies where, who are, you know, do really well and are incredible agencies, but the creators are the only ones who really are allowed to have ideas. Yeah. Um, and, and that to me is shutting off the creativity from the, re the greater, uh, agency and even the client relationship to me feels, um, like a miss because ideas, create when you put oxygen into them create a bonfire and and starving off that that oxygen and and, and and keeping it holding it close to your chest that you're the only one that allowed to have an idea um is 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 not just lame it's also just counterproductive so like we didn't want to be bureaucratic we didn't want to be selfish with um with our spirit and our and our openness um uh we didn't want to um be people that had to take seven years to get, you know, or uh, not seven years, 
take you know three months to get to an idea right right we wanted to be fast and we wanted to be good i think we you know you see these headlines about these big um you know these big people that run agencies making these giant packages and nobody else gets you know gets anything like uh and we we wanted to make sure that everybody in our company has a percentage of the company Mm -hmm. so yeah that that those those are the things that we wanted to be and and um and I and I and when you stop and you kind of you write down all the values and you write down all the things that you don't want to be and then all the things you do, then you have to put systems in place and and um, uh, a mission in place and a vision in place on a, even in, just in a document that says this is how we're going to get there and this is what we're going to do. All right. One thing I, I I envy so much about independent agencies um, is billing not by time yeah. but by project. And you guys have ha- have had a lot of innovation in the way that you bill. Um, and like I'm, I'm going through this now, where it's like we have a creative director, and are they they're 50 on this business and 25, and they're and they're doing timesheets, and and the whole thing feels like such a charade if you're a creative person, because it's like, okay, well, I'm going to be thinking about this the whole train ride home, and then I might wake up at 5:30 in the morning with a pang of anxiety thinking about this thing. Like, do I bill for that time? It's just it's not the way the creative brain works at all. Yeah. Um. And so it, you know, it's like your clients are within their rights to have a lot of concerns about working with you. They might say, well, we're concerned that you're not staffing up enough here or doing this there. But like, from the little I've gotten to know you, the one thing they should never worry about is that you're not spending enough time on their business, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we, we, I, you know, in, in Harry Potter, there is, um, this is like the stupidest reference, but there is Hermione Granger has this thing that she can she can kind of be in a couple of places at once. I think for some somehow we some, there are some members of our team that are managed to to do it. It's like a magic trick, but um, but uh, you're right. They're obsessing about our clients' business is what we do as creative people, right? And it's because we are um, problem solvers at heart, and we uh, want to be the best, and so we. All everybody, you know that's that's I think worth their salt. Spends time that is in the off hours thinking about it constantly. Like I I, I honestly don't. I love thinking about clients' business. I look at it like I I don't can't remember the last time I watched a movie on a plane. I'd rather just sit out the stare at the window and think about the business. You know, I know that that sounds so lame, but I just love it. Like I um, uh, love to. Um, you know, on the train, listen to listen to music and just think, what would I what would I do? Like, what's what's the way to make something different? Um, and so, you know, and sitting down to a, a juicy problem is the best. So um, so I feel like the other thing that uh, billing hourly doesn't always allow you to do is bring in different kinds of thinkers. So, for example, like if you wanted to bring somebody in that. Um, was from um, entertainment or improv comedy. Or we actually had a beauty brand and we just contracted a beauty editor of a major magazine to come in and sit with us. Well, how would you bill for that hourly? Right. Like you can't. Like that's, that is, that is not, that's not like a, it's not on a normal procurement spreadsheet. So, but we just get to do it because that's how we just, we charge by deliverable. Right. The Harry Potter thing is actually probably my, my biggest question when I think about you and your business and starting your business in these in these early years is like, you know, clients are putting their faith in Joan broadly, but, you know, ultimately they're putting their faith in you and Lisa. So mm-hmm. they know they know they're not your only client, but they also know um, they also want to know that you're at the wheel. Yeah. Um, do clients rope you into being the day to day person or contact in a way that maybe sometimes prohibits you from from focusing on the big picture? Oh, that's a good question. Well, <laughs> I I have to say, uh, I don't can't imagine not being involved in my clients' business, uh, like at least for a little while, um, really hands on. Um, you know, sure. Do you have people that are, um, you know, creative directors or um, account you know managers and whatnot running? You know, being the people that are talking on the phone, of course, but like literally there's not a day goes by that I'm not working on every single one of my clients. Um, does it, does it, um, uh, in, you know, in some capacity, does it uh, interfere with the big picture? I just think you make time. You know, this is the weirdest thing about starting being an entrepreneur that I don't know how it works, but um, uh, it's, there's a lot of time 
being dedicated to this and there's a lot of constant changing every you change you change every hour you're thinking about something different and yet it's completely energizing too so even though I, I'm working probably harder than I've ever worked in my entire life I don't there's like the days that I feel like oh my god I'm gonna die right. have been few and far between and so um, I think that that energy that comes in and that um, I don't know this is like the joy of creating something is is restorative like it is like yoga like it is or like meditation like working as an entrepreneur no I, this maybe no one's ever said this is like meditation in that it is restorative to you somehow it charges its battery while it goes right. it's like a car it charges its battery while it goes i don't know anything about auto mechanics yeah i think but, that's how it works but it pretty much does right? right but like you know i just took a guy to like to like change my oil and fix a flat tire so i'm sure that seems right um no it's interesting i mean having you know, interviewed a handful of people across various size agencies. Um, you know, I, I maybe came into this thinking that like there's a real formality or system or process to it, and and over and over again, what I get back is like you just kind of wake up and you go where you're needed mm. as much as possible. Well, and and you know, there are business ebbs and flows, right? right. So you'll have some clients that need 15 minutes of you today because you because last week you gave them a ton of time, right? And then you have some clients that today need all of your time. And you just figure it out, man. You just put right. one foot in front of the other. Um, in your previous jobs, you had you know large teams showing you ideas. You had people booking your travel and managing your schedule. Uh, you know The coffee was ready to go. And these things sound trite, but you know every second that you're not spending doing that stuff is seconds that you're doing the thing that you're actually great at and moving your client's business forward. Is that part of startup life something that you were that you were prepared for. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. Because we are actually between assistants right now, and um, and there's a reason it's a job. Yeah, it's a, it is, and it's it's vital. Yeah. It's vital. Support staff is vital. So actually, we 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 actually knew, realized that early, and um, we one of the first hires we had at Joan was someone who was going to help us. We you know we would say produce Joan, like be the person that is essentially assistant and also helping us kind of move along, um, you know, getting websites up and help like that. But but really, and, and getting the office, you know, kind of situated and whatnot. Um, I don't think you can, I think that those jobs are so important. And right now I am, I am feeling that pain. Like there are a couple people that are helping out different parts, but there's not one person who's doing that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it is like you, you shouldn't, there are certain things that you need to move into other people. Um, but yeah, <laughs> um, you, you talked about bringing clients into the process earlier, maybe when the stakes are a little bit lower and they can, they can give you some of the answers to the test along the journey rather than have this big reveal yeah. that either goes great or goes disastrously. Um, and that doesn't sound like it should be a controversial idea, but, um, it's not the way that a lot of agencies work. So, um, you know, you may want, it may be that you want to be sure that this is the idea. And you want to put enough around it that that um, that they can easily see that this is the idea before you bring it to them. And that's actually where that performance thing really comes in helpful, because a lot of it in the early phases really requires on kind of painting a great picture, even though you you might just have literally, you know, you know, some mood imagery that you just pulled down and you're literally loose leafing it on a table and a line and like just even like, well, I don't know, we could do this, we could do that. Um so, so being able to kind of like paint a picture without without investing too much time figuring out what every color that you're going to use in that picture is um, is I've used a lot of metaphors today, and I, I it's great to see how okay? your brain works. Yeah, that's why we're doing this. <laughs> right, <laughs> but being able to do that is like is is I think I th it, it's not not everyone's comfortable with it, and not every client is comfortable with it. So we actually talked to clients beforehand and we're just like, hey, this is how we're going to do this. Are you guys up for this? Are you up for going on the adventure? The one thing I would say is in 2018, more clients than not are up for going for the on the adventure. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that most of our clients have former agency people sitting in those, in those teams. So they know. They get it. They also know the bullshit tricks that you're going to pull, right. and so they're like, "Yeah, man, let's 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 talk about it. We don't have to wait till the, the clay is dry to see it." Eventually, I would assume that there there is a moment where low stakes meetings turn into high stakes meetings. Uh, do you get nervous before yes. those meetings? Um, 
Uh, is nerve management a thing for you? For some people, it's like not a thing at all. And for some people, they've, yes! been, they've been in the business for 25 years and they're like, I still have to like I do. do all these manipulations on myself just to get myself to like, you know, yeah. to, to even before a meeting. You know what? I'll be honest. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because every time I tell people like, I, when I, I've only said that like to a couple people, but now I guess everybody else in the fucking world knows. But, um, but, but sometimes, you know, you do, you have to like ground and it's, it, I guess the one thing I could say is it goes back to being a theater kid is that that happened too. And the minute you start talking, everything goes away, right. right? Like you're like, okay, I know what I'm here to do. And also reminding yourself that it's never really nerves about is the idea good? It's nerves about like, are, you know, can, can I communicate this in a way that gets people excited? And in some ways it's just basic old friggin' stage fright. You know yeah. what I mean? Which, which, is, which is, I think, um, you know, I think it's, I think it affects more people than you would think. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I do. I, I, I do like a a deep breath thing. I um, I am so superstitious. You one of the reasons I have three drinks in front of me. This everyone's gonna think I'm fucking nuts. But one of the reasons I have three drinks in front of me is I usually like something carbonated. I like a hot water and I like a coffee. And that's my kind of little security blanket that it's gonna be okay. So um, so there you go. Now you guys can see how. Crazy, I am. <laughs> I saw some. I saw some psychoanalysis thing like a year ago about how Donald Trump moves water around a table during meetings, and I was like, "Oh no, I do that. I'm like constantly moving my cup back and forth and moving it really far away from me because it's just like this sort of ladders up to this bigger embarrassment about like what what if I spilled this drink all over myself? Oh my you god! Do- you know. Um, but no, we're, we're all a little. I would say. The vast majority of people I've I've met in advertising and specifically in creative departments are all a little bit crazy in some way. I mean, it means that you care and and um, stage fright is a legitimate thing. I think what can be difficult is like you think about when you're at your best. When you're at your best, maybe it's, you know, for me, it's like I'm going to meet with a team of creatives and there's a bunch of ideas on a wall and there's nothing I have to do to prepare for that. I can just go into the room and trust that like I'm going to see work and I'm going to interact with them in a way that it's going to feel good and we're going to walk out knowing what to do next. Mm. And um, and you have to figure out how to sort of bottle that feeling. And because all of a sudden you're yeah. preparing for a meeting and you're like, I can find myself sometimes scripting myself to my own detriment where it's like, well, oh, yeah. that's not how I, that's not when I'm at my best. I'm not thinking word for word about what I'm going to say, you know, three responses from now. Yeah. So. Uh, PJ told me something that was, was really good at one point, PJ Pereira, which was um, figure out the very first sentence you're going to say and keep in mind what it is that you need to to communicate the three things you need to communicate through and and sometimes I will not always but if it's like a really high pressure thing I will script out the first thing that I'm going to say but it's very rare where I'll actually write down a whole I mean if I'm giving like a um if I'm giving like a keynote speech I'll probably write it just so that I don't can stay in time and I'll look at it you know but um but I think one of the actual um fun things about what we do is that sometimes the detours are actually the most exciting and important parts of what you're you're doing yeah. and um and one of the things we always try to not do it um don't is script things really at all because we're looking for those magic moments where someone actually has an idea halfway through and and um i do this all the time like i know you're not supposed to throw out new ideas in meetings but if somebody says something in a meeting you're like actually that's a fucking great idea like what if we did this and you know those sometimes can 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 be the evolution of the idea that that you really love i'll find myself stopping myself just before i do that because when i i want to do it and when i do i find that the re- the response is mm-hmm. very like confused it's like well, no, no, that's not how it works. Like it almost, it devalues the idea. It's like, write that down and put it in a PDF and bring it back tomorrow. Yeah, like, like. You know, like it'll, it'll make it feel like it's more thoughtful and cultivated yes. or something. Well, and, and there is that, there is that feeling. And yet there's not a lot, you know, we, if you have the key business problem you're trying to solve and you have all the strategic shit in your head, then what you're looking for is that spark of inspiration, which we, every, we all know it doesn't matter if where you don't even know where it's going it's going to come to you and so and, and it's literally something that happens in in a millisecond right it's the, like something happened you're like oh my god the idea kind of for, comes fully formed in your head and you're just like yeah you know you can't be held responsible for when that comes yeah 
that's where it's great to have clients who come from the agency side because I think they're more open to the possibility that like yeah. we may have just solved it in the last five seconds. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. doesn't make it any less valuable, yeah. which is what's really important is to say, you know what? We may have solved this in the last five seconds, but we've been doing two months of work, strategic work to get to that point. Right. You know, and you and the clients have been doing years of strategic work. Right. As a um, you guys are a two year old company. We are almost almost as a young company. You know, you don't have the same sense of stability as a hundred year old network agency, obviously. Is um, anything stable right now? Oh, that's a great, that's a great, uh, rebuttal. Um, but my question is, do you sense employees taking a, a heightened sense of cues from you about how they should be feeling at any given time? Like, are, are you allowed to show vulnerability or, um, or disappointment when something doesn't go the agency's way? Or do you feel like it's important that um, that that you're projecting a sense of positivity and optimism because people are taking cues from you, sometimes when you don't even realize it. Um, I think no matter the size of the agency, that actually is the the way. Right. And I think right now, um, like literally a different headline every single day about what's even happened to the big guys. So um, so in some ways, I feel like the comfort of all of us knowing together that we're we're in this boat. It may be a smaller boat, but we're all in this boat together is actually a comforting thing for everyone. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's it's just maybe crazy, but my personality is such that I see the bright side in most situations and I can see how that can get us to another another place we wanted to go. Um, You know, you know, it's like it may not be that thing that the answer that you were you know, thinking you would want at that moment. But most of those times, what happens the next time is that that answer was actually a better answer than than the thing that you had. And and it happens all the time with creative, you know, work. Um, and it happens all the time with bigger things too, you know. So I, I feel like I don't feel a lot of, I don't feel a lot of pressure to change my reactions and my responses. And that may be partly because my reactions and responses are very optimistic. It may be that we've actually, knock on wood, had a lot of luck at Joan. And it may also be because I trust, I have faith in the people that are around us, you know, in the agency, that they are in this boat and we're all in the boat together and there's not a lot of skittishness. Right. Well, it sounds like you and Lisa gave a lot of thought to the conditions that you guys want wanted to create. But as you said, that doesn't mean that there, there aren't ebbs and flows and external factors that are going to... Yes. you know, crash the boat against, yeah. uh, you know, against a large wave. Like, do you, do you ever feel like you can be complicit uh, in, in creating the very conditions oh. that you don't want to, that you don't want to have around? Well, uh, well, I don't know if I would say complicit, Well, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, I would say you are, you know, as a CCO, your job is to stir up a lot of shit sometimes. Right. And that is, that's just what it is, man. You just like, okay, well, you know, actually there's maybe a different way to do this thing that we thought we were going to do that might be better. Um, I would say that, uh, we are really lucky that, um, one of the most important things, especially at an agency our size is hiring the right people. And, um, and, uh, I have to say yesterday, I looked around the office and, we had had a really cut bunch of key meetings with both our executive team and and everybody else as all agency meeting, and I just felt this incredible buzz, this electricity of these people that loved each other and cared about each other, that wanted to make great stuff, that were not all thinking the exact same way, but were really respective and appreciative of the ways that they thought differently as well as the ways that they thought the same. And uh, and I can say that that creating that environment is is so important and it really the number one thing is the is the people and i mean when you have you know you know 20 something 30 something people probably up until about probably up until about 100 people every single person that you bring in is so key to the culture and so key to the vision and like bringing that vision to life that you ca- you have to be really careful about who you bring in and I, I feel like we have been extraordinarily lucky that the people that have come in to work with us are are just just bringing everything they've got. Has the discipline part of growing a business been challenging for you, and like not making presumptuous hires, and um, because you know you want it to feel like the company is constantly growing and constantly moving yeah. forward, but um, but there is a discipline to it that you know 
I yeah. don't know if that comes naturally. Uh, or maybe just maybe the the person who runs the books just lets you know. Oh, financial discipline. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I uh, I actually am a pretty uh, financially. My our CFO always laughs because she's like, I've never met a creative person like you because I ask all the questions about things and um, we don't like negotiating our lease. And I'm like looking at the fine print. I I caught something that uh, you know that we didn't catch that <laughs> was that wasn't like. And she's like like you know well I mean I'm not spending all my time negotiating a lease or looking at it. But if I hear something, I'm like I don't like the way they said that. Right. Um, then you know then then we bring it up. But I think. Um, I do think that one thing that you want to do is leave enough room to bring in. You never want to have a starved situation where um, people feel like, you know, if you have a great person that comes in or somebody has a great idea for somebody to hire that you're like, oh, that's we can't do that. You want people to feel free to bring the recommendations. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I'm a, I think I'm a weird creative in that I actually think about the business too. But don't you have to be as an entrepreneur? What kind of a dick entrepreneur would be like, I'm not thinking about the health of the business? No, certainly. But I, I think it's like, you know, as a as a co-founder of a company, you're um, you're responsible for a hell of a lot more than the creative product. So yes. I guess it's just kind of interesting to hear the parts of being the founder of a company and, and a manager that maybe you didn't anticipate that you would enjoy yeah. If I were to ask you five years ago, yeah, yeah, it's funny because I, I, I have to say the watching the teams interact with one another and like, and them charge each other's batteries has been really awesome. Right. Um, when um, when somebody gives a compliment about another person, either in the department or they say something really nice about somebody in another department. It's like you feel like this great burst of warmth because you're like, I don't know, this part of you just feels so proud of them and and of the, the thing that we're all building. Um, and, you know, there are things like that are kind of fun, like, um, you know, OK, like getting disability Secure insurance secured for everyone. As stupid as that sounds, you feel like you're taking care of people in some ways. So you just go, okay, um, it's not like a technically a fun thing, but it feels great to be able to say, let's get let's get this thing. Yeah, it's not a fun thing. It's a life thing. It's a life thing, and that's important. Yeah. So because when people feel secure in their lives, they can actually come to work and bring more of their, themselves. Yeah, um, you were at Wyden. Wyden is famous for their creative culture. What parts of Wyden Kennedy culture? Do you maybe appreciate more now that you're out on your own? Um, the craft at Wyden is impeccable, and I think um, I think that they are phenomenal at hiring really interesting people um, who who are incredibly incredibly um, passionate about their craft, um, and uh, and you just look at the work that comes out of that company across all the offices. You know, it's pretty staggering, yeah. um, and it's it's kind of um, you know it's 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 inspiring. It's really cool, yeah. you know, and and a lot of that is um, is obviously craft and idea and craft and um, in concept, but 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 there is everything uh, is so beautifully made. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's something that's really you know low budget or something that's like a giant you know like um, nothing beats a Londoner, which I've got to imagine cost a gazillion dollars. There's there's really beautiful attention to detail and and it's it's something that I think we should all try to aspire to, yeah. um, because because it's in those details that um, the consumer realizes that they or the audience realizes that they've been they've been invested in by the brand. Um, so I'm I'm like so in awe of it. Yeah. You know, they're able to experiment with talent, and it's 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 not a coincidence that maybe earlier on you were kind of telling me that. In your own way, you guys are trying to experiment with yeah. talent in your own way. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you have to. It's like, first of all, there's two reasons you have to. Number one, uh, it's 2018, and uh, which I think I've said like seven times in this interview. Um, so, if apologies to everybody listening that um, <laughs> that I keep that reminding got, you that get around to that I like keep years. I keep reminding you <laughs> what year it is. But the thing is, is that there's so many inputs for the for the for the listener and the audience, right? Um, or the viewer and um, and and like there's cool shit happening everywhere so why not bring in more um, cool shit into our discipline that uh, can compete with entertainment and 
what the Kardashians are doing and, uh, you know, uh, what, um, you know, uh, you know, Gucci is, is doing, you know, with with taking their chances. So I think you just need to bring in more inputs right. because that's how you're going to get better output. Yeah, you want to make things that aren't in competition with other advertising. You want to make things that are in competition with your favorite things and the most relevant and culturally resonant things. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Um, in interviews, you're asked to speak sometimes on behalf of all women in advertising. Uh, and that's that's an interesting opportunity, but also it comes with a little bit of a burden because you know you speak for you yeah. and you speak for your company. I'm wondering if there's a question or assumption about being a woman in advertising that you find kind of eye roll inducing as you um, when you're asked. I think we are. I think it's changed rapidly over the past couple of years. You know, I can. You know, I came up as a. I showed up in a heels and a pantyhose to my first job and realized very quickly that was going to be putting me on a different, I was going to be that girl over there. Right. And, um, and I guess much to, uh, my then boyfriend now husband's chagrin, I, uh, started wearing, you know, like big baggy cargo pants and overalls and, you know, sneakers. And, um, I, I probably went too far the other way. Um, but fuck it. If it was comfortable, anyway, <laughs> um, and I and I was cute because I was twenty something. One of the but, joys of the job, yeah. <laughs> but um, but um, I would say um, that back then the idea was to not be seen as a girl, and and I think what was really interesting about this whole movement is um, I have since it's really started a couple of years ago, uh, predominantly with the three percent conference. I think was one of the first people that really kicked off the the conversation, um, and Cindy Galp's been amazing. Um, in, in furthering that. I think a lot of women who were had reached senior levels at the time were really conflicted about it. Right. Because I th for so long, we were like, we're not women. We're not women. No, no, no. We're not women. Don't, don't look over here. Right? Um, and we kind of felt like, and I talked to a couple of people at that time that were really senior. Uh, and there were not that many because, you know, it was hard to get there. Um, but uh, but we, you kind of felt like you were being outed all of a sudden, like, oh my God, they might know that I have a vagina. <laughs> and, um, and so, um, but, but I would say something else really miraculous happened at that time too, which was, um, and, and, and I don't think it's coincidence. I think that you can look at the 3% and Cindy Gallup and, 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 um, and really kind of um, applaud them for this, was that um, the point of view of being a woman was, became a really interesting thing and became something that was, started to be asked for by clients. And it was less about, um, you know, checking off a diversity box for the clients and more about like, these are my, this is my audience. There's life experiences that they're gonna have that, that our audience has and that these creatives, these women creatives have. How do, I, how do I tap more into that and hear what they have to say? And so I actually got, started to get mad because I, I started to see as a, a, a female ECD, that I was looking for more female talent and I was looking to bring more in. And and um, and some of the messaging was, it's hard to be a woman in advertising. And I'm like, guys, no, women, right now, I'm not the only, I'm not the only recruiter or, or, or ECD who's looking for female talent. Like, get after it, fucking use it. Ask for as much money as you can get because you are a really interesting and rare thing and go for it. Um, and so I think now we're in a, we're, I don't wanna say we're past, uh, we're post that conversation, but I do think we're at a place where you are seeing more women uh, at, in senior levels, and um, and you kind of meet the young women that are coming into this, and they are operating at the idea that they're not going to ever have a problem, that it is it is being taken care of, that um, things like Times Up advertising, um, and um, the three percent and Girls Day are have kind of really done the hard work of 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 knocking down some walls, not all. Um, and they think by the time that they're in senior level, it's not even be a question. And I hope that that's the case. Yeah. We're, I feel like we're at least to a point where you can go to a handful of recruiters when you're hiring for a senior job and you go like, so we've got this senior job and it's a great creative opportunity. And before you finish, it's like, well, here's the book of a dozen 50 year old white guys. And, um, <laughs> and now, you know, without having to ask or without having to say like, and also we really like for this role, uh, to be a woman because we don't have enough female representation in our yeah. agency and it's it's holding us back creatively. And to hear a recruiter go like, 
ah, that's going to be tough, you know? And like, it feels like at least that pool of talent um, has opened up a little bit. Yeah. Um, So that, that feels like a step in the right direction. You're right. It's, it's still, it's, there's still way more 50 year old white guy books. Yeah. um, Yeah. And we need those too. Like you need everybody, you know? Um, And we certainly need more people of color. I think we need to to do a better job as an industry there by a lot. But, um, but yeah, and it, and it may be that we're spoiled at Joan, but we have we we see uh, an unfair share of incredible, mind blowing female talent coming to us. Yeah, my my assumption is that like you guys flipped the on sign uh, on the company, and then there was just like every female creative who felt disenfranchised in any way was like, "May I come and be part of this?" It was we 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 were very lucky. Yeah. We are, and we continue to be very lucky. Um, part of your job as it relates to the creative part of the job, relies heavily on your own creative taste. Mm. Um, when you pinpoint an idea that you love, can you can you describe that feeling? Like, is, is it is it visceral? Is it instantly optimistic or focused? Can pe- do people know it when it happens to you? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not shy. Yeah. If I see something I love, I'm not shy. And I'm not shy to, like, just fawn all over it. Um, and uh, I don't think, like, and it's, you know, I think there is a visceral feeling. I mean, it's... Yeah, I think one of the things that's really exciting about being a creative director and not just a creative um, is that, you know, that that um, the electric bolt of having an idea that you get actually also applies when you instantly recognize something incredible in, in somebody else's idea. Yeah. And um, and uh, and you just all of a sudden that that kind of endorphin rush that you get this very like it's just like a second the the. Um, you know, you're, you're, you could feel the prickles of the adrenaline of like, oh my God, that's good, um, kind of pop up around you. Uh, it's like, it's, it feels great. And, and, uh, and, and I think it's hard, it's hard to, I mean, it's hard for all of us. It's hard to like hide that, but, um, but I'm not like a very shy person either. So I think it, I think it's, it's good. And then the other thing is your enthusiasm for an idea, if it's, if, if, you know, if it's worth it, then is, hopefully contagious and other people can see enthusiasm and they can feel that enthusiasm and then we can all build that idea out together in this early going you're still developing trust with the people who work with you and for Mm -hmm. you Um, and ideas can come from a lot of places so sometimes they come from your teams sometimes they surely come from you uh are you mindful to not be unfairly biased toward your own ideas uh that is a question that every creative director probably struggles with uh, and I can say, um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I am, I think, um, because I think because we have a very open environment where ideas can really come from everywhere. I don't, I think the good news is most of the time, a lot of great ideas come from other people. So yeah. it's not that I have to worry too much about it, but I also think that an idea is not just a single thing. I think that idea actually is is everything that it, all the different layers that that idea starts to take on, and it's funny because it, you know a lot of times even if you think about our process, you can have an idea and you can go to a director and the director's treatment comes back and it's a very different idea, but you're like hell that's a really good idea now whose idea is that, and I think that finding the finding the um, communal nature of of sharing and shaping an idea is the most important kind of thing to look to and it's it's watching it evolve and change from that moment no matter who's who was that spark of that idea whether it was a creative or an, a strategist or you as the cd or the cco or the you know whoever that is like loving that idea changing or the audience you know like letting them participate somehow and change an idea is is thrilling and like that's what you need to fall in love with yeah now that you've started your own company, I assume it's it's a lot of the same tasks as when you worked for other people's companies. It just feels like maybe it's the same tasks, but the stakes are higher yeah. um, because you're personally vested. Um, as a result of that, do you worry more about being a little bit too hard on people or not quite hard enough on people? You worry about both. You worry about both. And it's in, it, it depends on the day, you know? <laughs> and like, it depends on, you know, yeah, you, you worry about both of those things. Um, I mean, it's, that's a great question because the thing is, you you never want to be too soft because then you're not you're not fulfilling your potential, and you never want to be too hard that people get discouraged. Um, but I can say one of my early learnings to bring it back to the the first question you asked 
uh, well, um, after the whole New Jersey conversation. Uh, but one of my first learnings was that asking people to keep going and keep pushing the idea, whether it is in the concept phase or through production, and keeping striving is actually, is actually it makes all the difference. In the end, when the result is good, everybody is glad. Um, the trick is not to drive everybody nuts between that moment, but I, I think it is never too late to keep pushing. It's never too late to do the right thing. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so being hard on things, I would rather err on the side of being hard than being too easy. Yeah. Well, one of the joys at any agency, but I would assume, especially with this kind of group of this nucleus of people who you're, you know, who you're growing with is like, you guys want to celebrate the little victories along the way. And one of the little victories is like, Hey, they, a client loves an idea, but yeah. young young creatives will learn quickly. Like there's a big difference between the client loves an idea, the idea is sold, and then that sort of oh, yeah. shift in mentality from the selling of an idea to the making of an idea. So yeah. you want to celebrate along the way, but sometimes you you don't want to take your eye off the ball because like you know that that may be the difference between it being pretty good and and really special. Can you talk about some of your mentality as it relates to kind of that transition from the from the selling of something to the making of something? Yeah, I think that that is probably the most important time to have a very, um, whether it's, you know, whether it's me personally or the EC, our, my EC, our ECD, Dave Canning, who's amazing, um, but a real solid focus on, okay, we've got it, now let's keep the the care that we took in, in bringing everybody along on the journey that's going to be involved in it. We have to, to get to the idea, to get it sold, has to be, has to be, um, uh, continued through the production and um and so so yeah it's like you do you do want to celebrate the 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 wins i think again it's not to sound like a total dork but the sometimes some of the setbacks actually do end up making it better in the end for sure so so um yeah so so i think it's like i think you you can't just assume that something is done because it's sold you have to keep it going, and you have to keep the the spirit of live and the champion, the championing that idea, but not being so rigid that when a director treatment comes in, it's very different than what you thought. But it's still, but it's really interesting. Yeah. You can't kind of leave some allowance to move. Yeah, you talked about the importance of craft. I mean, how do you know when something is done? Are you like a tinkerer to your own detriment sometimes? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I guess it depends on who you ask. But I, I, you know, I think that. Um, uh, I think you 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 can. There are things that you see six months after they've aired or they've gone out into the world, and you're like, "Fuck! I wish I just did that one thing." Yeah. You know, I wish I had just time, or I wish I had seen it then, or I knew that I felt it, that little voice, but I didn't. I didn't say it. Um, and I think you can't you can't like let that drive you crazy because the other thing is, everything is ephemeral. Nothing lives. You know, what we do is you put it out in the world and and you know, and people interact with it or they see it or they um, somehow participate in it. But usually it's not like, you know, it's not a building. It goes away. So you, so don't let, don't drive yourself nuts. Yeah. And it ages in dog years. Oh, you're oh looking at God. your work from like five years ago. And you're oh like, my what God. the hell is like, this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like the embarrassment, you can sort of cringe. You're like, well, I thought that that, like even certain things you're like, little things you're like, oh, did I think that that color palette was good? Like that's terrible. Taste changes and culture changes. And well, and that, and also like we have got to be, we have got to be leading some of that innovation. So, um, like as an industry, we've got to be leading and we have to be pushing like that, right? And and anything you do that is is super sexy and interesting because you actually broke a boundary or you did something brand new, then it's gonna it is gonna when you see it a couple of years later and everybody's copied it, you're like, oh God. Right. And then it, when it moves out of style, you know, like you look at like I look back at, oh my God, did I feel like such a champion doing some microsites at EVB back in the day? Like, oh I'm cool. Like I've just I'm doing microsites. And you're just like, or like I did an app that like four people downloaded and you're like, but you felt like a fucking baller. Cause you're like, I'm making an app. Look at me. I'm so digital. And, and you're like, and at a point you're just like, you know, okay, that that's no longer a thing. But at the time that was damn good. Yeah. And you have to kind of celebrate yourself for being that, for being damn good at that time. In the last two years, since you started your company, what have you gotten better at saying no to? Um, Oh, that's a that is a very good question. I think I think I've gotten better at knowing at saying no to myself in having to, Okay, let's think about this. Are you going to edit out this pause because this pause is super embarrassing? 
we'll see. Let's see how this, let's see, let's see where we end up. <laughs> All right. Um, I think probably I have gotten good at, um, at saying no to the fact that, uh, what you mentioned before, like I have to be the one that's writing everything, every single thing. Um, I've gotten good at saying no to, I've gotten better at saying no to my ego. Um, you know, um, and kind of, I've gotten better at saying yes to seeing other people um, have success and loving that, which is a very, um, feels like a very personal thing again to be saying here. But I think part of going through, um, you know, the process is we as creatives kind of come up and we're celebrated for our work and we're, everyone's like, high five and you did a, you did a great job and you, 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 you. And, um, and, and it's cool. It feels great to be celebrated. And then we get his jobs as managers and then, um, even more heightened as, as, as people that run a company and are entrepreneurs. Um, and the job of you, the more you, 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 you are, the worse everything is. Like, it's not about you, 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 you can't do everything and you probably can't do it as good as you need it to be done because what you need is other other eyes and other hearts and other minds. So, um, so I think I've gotten, I've gotten, um, pretty good at saying no to that, to that instinct of you, 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 I hope. Yeah. The people around you success is your success, it but is. that's, that's counterintuitive to what we're taught coming through, through the industry for sure. It is, it is. And it's, and it's, and some people cannot make that transition. And yeah. as a result, like their careers stagnate because, the thing that they fear the most is the thing that will happen. It's like, well, the less people whose name is on this thing, the more that yeah. my name will shine on it. Yes, it's like, yes. It's like give it all away. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's and it's really hard. It's really hard because again, you know, it is this drug that you're being fed for so many years, and it's also how you've gotten success. So it really takes this kind of mental shift to say, ah, fuck, it's not about me anymore. Right. I mean, it is in some ways. Like it always be about like you in some ways. But that's the least important thing. It's really about these other people and what they can build. Yeah. Um, I like to end these with the same two questions. The first is, in a presentation of your work to a client, what is the most horrifying or distressing response you can ever remember getting back to an idea you presented? When a client says, you should, you need to, this is, this is good. I've had a client say once, this is good. This is good. We could do this and it would be good. But I don't want to do good, do you? At which point you're horrified because you're the jerk that just brought in. And because you know that they're right. You know that they're right. Uh, and you're just like, I should have been the one pushing. And so it's a horrifying response, but it is also a very good response. Is that the client you really want because they're like pushing you? But I remember there were a couple of times um, during some of the Intel stuff, I can remember my client who was incredible said, on that, and they were all were. We had a couple different clients. Uh, one of them said, "Yeah, I don't know. I think it's okay. I don't know. <laughs> Just like okay, but creatively okay. Not about strategic, and not about the not about the business. They thought it was creatively just okay." Yeah, you can like. There are ways that bad meetings are out of your control, but you can decide what kind of bad meeting you want to have. Like, yeah. I definitely way I'd way rather have the bad meeting where the clients like. Mm. This is just too crazy. You guys went too far. We're, you, you know, it's like you're making yeah. us way too nervous versus like you guys basically just rewrote the brief in the yeah. form of an idea. And, just, <laughs> yeah. you know, you feel like an asshole. Yeah. But it is a great thing. You'd rather have, you truly would rather have the client say that than be like, OK, we're done. Yeah. But it does make you feel like a, a, a jerk. Yeah. Last question is called the one that got away. What's that one idea? That's, oh, my God. You know, it's just kind of stayed with you. You've tried to sell it for different clients, maybe at different agencies, and it just can't quite sell it for whatever reason. But it, it it's remained in your heart. Um. Uh, you know, I try not to bring ideas to different clients personally, just because I um. I try to like just possibly because I love to I love cracking new ideas, but also because I feel like the right things are are born with the soul of that business problem and that client in mind. But um, but I will say that uh, my first greatest disappointment was that we had done something for Vault.com, which was um, 
which was, and by the way, this is a terrible idea, um, which was Bavalt.com, which was like basically like a glass door back in the day. You could kind of see what different things were like. And this was back at Mad Dogs. So this was like, this was like two years in or a year and a half in. And we created, and it was like during that whole dot-com thing where everybody was just doing like crazy things with, it was like just, you know, the first dot-com boom. Everybody was just doing like, you know, like things that were just crazy and wackadoodle. And I remember an idea that is, is by the way, I recognize now so many years on is terrible, but maybe back then it wasn't. But it was about doing this kind of um, uh, content about um, lobsters who wear business suits, like three-piece business suits, and they are basically going to teach you how to succeed in business. And everything was a pun, and it was terrible. It was how to succeed in business as demonstrated by lobsters in business suits. And I and like everything was a terrible pun, and it was stupid, but we were going to get lobsters, and we were going to make great suits for them. And it was like, you know, we had storylines, and there was like this, it was actually like, the, the campaign was actually more like a soap opera. So you would watch a spot and then the next spot would be a continuation of what's happening now that Shelly's having her prawns. And I can't believe I'm telling you this idea and I can't believe I still remember this idea, but I was devastated and I thought it was so good. And I did try to sell that to one more client and they were like, no, this, this is not a good idea. Well, I disagree. <laughs> um, Jamie, thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much to Jamie Robinson. Thank you to The One Club. Thank you to Jeff Fiorello and JSM Music for producing this podcast. If you like it, please subscribe, share it, tell a friend. Until then, peace. Peace.